things for Father's Day, and I ran across this one that says precious dad moments for Father's Day. And so here's one of the precious dad moments. It says, one night, a wife found her husband standing over their newborn baby's crib. Silently, she watched him. As he stood looking down at the sleeping infant, she saw on his face a mixture of emotions, disbelief and doubt and delight and amazement and enchantment and skepticism. And he would stand back and shake his head and say, amazing, while smiling from ear to ear. Touched by his unusual display and the deep emotions it aroused, her eyes glistened as she slipped her arms around him and said, a penny for your thoughts, she whispered in his ear. Isn't it amazing, he replied. When you take the time and really look close, how can anyone make a crib like this for $45.99? It's a man thing. That's all I can say. It's a man thing. So, hey, dads, usually, you know, Mother's Day a month ago, and usually on Mother's Day, we talk about the attributes of mom and champion mom's cause and how amazing moms are, and I believe all that, don't you? Mothers are amazing. And then sometimes on Father's Day, we, we look at the responsibilities of fathers and the things we should be doing right and, 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 you know, a challenge, and sometimes it comes with a little guilt over our father's responsibilities. Well, I'm not going to do that today. I, I, I want to talk about something else. I want to talk about the, the good fatherness of our God. Amen? These are, um, let's see if I, th- these are friends from Cambodia. I've been going there since 2000, and that's Moni Mok. If you can see him, he's in the upper left, and his wife, Kanari, is on the right. And they're heroes of mine. Uh, we have became friends, uh, started in about 99 and 2000. I think 2000 was the first year I went over there. And Moni and Kanari are, are orphans themselves. Their uh, families were both killed, their fathers, and Moni's family, his whole family, was killed by the Khmer Rouge, the Pol Pot, the killing fields. Um, he had malaria. He was left behind in Phnom Penh as his whole family was escorted out to the killing fields. And to this day, he doesn't know exactly how they died. But his four brothers and sisters died. His parents died. And uh, he uh, got well from malaria and escaped, went to Thailand to a, a, a Baptist a refugee camp in Thailand and received Christ and then was adopted in, finished an engineering degree and a theology degree at Fuller. And now he and Canary are back in Cambodia. They could never have children, and so these are their children. This is uh, 19 of the 21 orphans they've adopted through the years, and we've had the pleasure of watching some of them grow up. And that little girl in the middle, I can't remember her name, but uh, if I had my way, she would be here with us and our family. She's such a sweet little girl. But that's, that's their family. And Jan and I were there in Father's Day 2011, and we took him to the zoo. And so we, we spent a day at the zoo, and this is Moni kind of with the kids around him. And uh, there, they don't have like three levels of fence or netting. You're right up close. Here you're right up close with a leopard. And... Uh, just a couple feet away, that's probably the closest I'll ever be to that one or this one. Uh, you're just across the lion, in front of a lion, and there's different places where even the, the chain link fence kind of bent or ripped apart a little. And so there's Mr. Lion. Here's the Jan with the Cambodian kids just walking around the, the zoo there. And then this is a lemur. And see how that lemur's hand is out through the chain link fence? Well, I was walking on that sidewalk, and that lemur grabbed me in the shirt and pulled me into the cage and uh, scared the Cambodian bejeebers out of me. And uh, 
quite a thrill. So I was traumatized. I had to have a pina colada. Actually, that's just coconut milk, just, just to recover there. But uh, then, then the next day, we went back to the church, and we, uh, and we just got to pray with the kids and minister to the kids. And uh, that's what Moni and Canary asked. Could you, could you come bless them? And as we did, you can just tell the God, the Father's love was just poured out on them. And there's our little girl there that uh, when we walked around the zoo with her, little girl in green, she was just smiling, looking at both of us. And man, your heart's melted for her. I I don't remember her whole story, but I I know the love of God touched her. And now she's surrounded by a a family that loves her. How many know God sets the solitary in families? He, He designed family. It was him that came up with the concept of family. And so... This is Moni and Canary's family. Some of them are growing up and some of them have graduated. One's becoming a doctor and uh, it's been fun to watch. But this morning, I just, I want to talk to you a little bit about this, just the orphan's heart. And there's much being written about it now. Uh, Christians are writing about it just because of the refugee situation in the world, the aid situation in the world. There's millions of children being orphaned, but Almost much so in the U.S., maybe not our biological parents are gone, but often our families are apart and there's been divorce or breakups or a blending of families where it's not working out and there's things that start getting set up in people's heart that affects and impacts the relationship with God. Sometimes it's rejection, the feeling of rejection. Sometimes it's that feeling that I'm unwanted. That feeling that many go through of being abandoned and then the fear that comes with that, that I got to do this thing on my own. I got to figure it out on my own. I got to provide for myself on my own. That idea of isolation, that it's all up to me to work it out. And, and that's not how God intended for you and me to live in the family of God. That, that this idea of an orphan's heart can get established in us if we're not careful. That we feel like... We're always on the outside looking in, that, that everybody else might have favor and that everybody else, things are going good for them, but for me, I'm on the outside looking in. And I want to talk about that a little bit this morning and hopefully dismantle that by just looking at some of the things in God's word. But more importantly, I'm praying for an encounter for you from God this morning that you would sense in a fresh way just his love and acceptance that you're in his family. Amen? That, that he, he cares deeply and greatly about you. And I can share it up here, but unless the Lord reveals it. And, and Jesus said this. I think it's in John 14. He said that uh, he is the one that reveals the Father. He's the one that gives a revelation of who the Father is. And so I pray that the Lord working in your heart today would just reveal in a new way for some and a fresh way for others that you have a heavenly Father that cares about you. Amen. So as opposed to the orphan's heart, there's this idea of sonship and daughtership, that the orphan's heart's on one hand, but the other part that really God, and that's why Jesus went to the cross, and Isaiah even prophesied in Isaiah 53, we talk about his stripes being shed for our our physical healing, but he was also wounded for transgressions. He was was wounded for that sense of our well-being that we might understand fully that we're loved now, that the price of our transgressions paid for, that you're in the family of God. So on one hand, the orphan's heart, and on the other hand, sonship, daughtership in the Lord. I want to contrast those two, and, and hopefully if you're struggling with one of them, that you can... Uh, that could change for you today. Amen? 
Just a few points about the orphan's heart. Number one, the orphan's spirit serves God in an attempt to earn the father's love, but the mature son-daughter serves God out of a sense of divine acceptance and favor. So we've talked about that a lot. I, I grew up Roman Catholic, and I know depending on the priests you've had, you might not have that same experience, but I grew up as a Roman Catholic feeling like my life was always weighed against the Ten Commandments and, and whether how I was performing with those commandments. Now, I met priests that are born again, and right after I got saved, Father Will was preaching on grace through faith. And I remember listening to that and going, has he been saying this the whole time? And I just wasn't getting it. I, I don't know, but I, I was raised with this sense of my life in a balance. I'm doing good. Here I am. I'm doing bad. I'm down here. And it was always about me and my, my works. And so when we come to Christ, we got to believe it's Jesus paid the price. Amen? We're sons and daughters because of what Jesus did. And, and my kids, their, their life, they're you know, born of Jan and I, their last name's Sparrow. They, they can't go through life feeling like, well... Uh, I'm, I messed up, so I'm not a sparrow anymore. I'm a raven now. And, and, and the idea that based on their works, they're in our family or out of their family. In our family, out of the family. That's not how it works in the family of God. You've been accepted in the beloved. And because now you're in the family of God, you and me are being changed and conformed and worked on and equipped and, and being prepared for what God has for his children. That's the message that you and me need to receive. Amen? And the orphan heart still sees themselves on the outside, not accepted fully, still things wrong with me, blemishes, I have to fix change before I'll be accepted by God. The truth is, you come to God as you are, and he starts making the changes on the inside. And aren't you glad for that? I, I tried to change myself before I got saved, and I didn't do very well. It usually got worse instead of better. And it's the Lord that changes us. So the orphan spirit serves God out of a sense of still trying to achieve and climb, but the, the, the mature son and daughter of God recognizes the love of God. The orphan spirit operates out of insecurity and jealousy, and the spirit of sonship functions out of love and acceptance. So, you know, this, those with an orphan spirit are continually battling jealousy and insecurity since, insecure, since security originates in a secure relationship with our parents, those with an orphan spirit are often insecure. They even have a hard time hearing a biological or spiritual father praise their siblings or co-laborers because those with an orphan spirit are often happy when a brother fails or somebody else fails because it makes them feel better about themselves. But those with a spirit of sonship become secure in the Father's love and favor, and they're content to serve in a capacity needed, whether or not they're in charge or celebrated in the process. Those established in sonship joyfully commit themselves to serve and celebrate and help brothers succeed since they don't work for human accolades, but out of a deep sense of love and affirmation from God the Father. Amen? How about this other aspect, though? Those with the orphan spirit, those that feel rejected outside, they often look for other things to medicate or, or fill that void. And you've heard it before, and you've probably experienced it before. People that have that hole in their heart about being accepted, they do lots of different things sometimes to be accepted. They, they uh, you know, physical stimulation, whether it be drugs or... I've met people that are adrenaline junkies trying to fill the void through just more excitement, something edgier, something more challenging. 
Some try and fill that void, bouncing from relationship to relationship. There's this need of being affirmed that they've never fully received and never had it settled in their heart. And so they're medicating to get through that. But those that know God, that have allowed God to fill that void, have allowed the joy of the Lord to, to come and to grow as they learn to walk with Him, to grow on the inside so they're not constantly wrestling with those, those challenges. Amen? Number four, the orphan spirit's driven by the need for success. The spirit leads the mature son or daughter into his or her calling and mission. I remember years ago walking into a guy's office, and he's sitting up here and behind him, all over the wall, all the awards and things that he's received and done. And so your image, when you walk through, you see all those things behind him. And, and as you talk and as you, uh, you know, get to know him better or differently, those things just because of growing up and how they were, those things were hugely important as affirmations along the way. Now, I, I thank God for trophy cases. Some of you might have a trophy case, and that's part of your story, and that's pretty cool. My trophy case growing up was about, about this big, and, and it was a trophy about that big. It was for catching the smallest fish in the boys' club uh, fishing contest when I was a junior high. Didn't have a big trophy case, Okay. But, but for, for some, those accolades and those things of success is what motivates them because the brokenness, they still are waiting for somebody to say, you're good enough. You're still waiting for somebody to say, you got it. Somebody say, I'm proud of you. And so they'll, they'll keep doing those things on the outside to, to be affirmed. But Monsieur, sons and daughters in God, we, we, we start to understand that we're on a mission and Later in life, you, you can figure out, sometimes people discover it earlier in life, that it's not about the size of the mission or the platform, but it's really about just faithfulness and knowing God's voice. And so doing smaller things behind the scenes, instead of having to do big things out in front or, or get accolades, pats on the back, th those that have a security in God know that my, my affirmation comes from Him first, that I'm loved by Him first. And faith works that way. It's hard to have strong trust and faith in God and strong trust and faith in God's word unless you know and fully believe he's backing his word for you because he loves you. He's going to perform his word for you because you've been accepted by him and loved by him. His promises are yes and amen because they're not coming from a distant God, but because they're coming from a loving father. And when that gets established in us, true faith, strong faith, resting faith develops in our heart. And when I first got saved in the camp we're in, you know, there were seven steps to stronger faith. And so you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, and it, it would strengthen your faith. But you know what strengthened my faith the most when I began to hear God's voice and began to find out he loves me and he cares for me and has my best interest at heart, and I don't have to try and manipulate him. I, I can trust him that as I look to him, believe his promises, he's going to make those things work out. He's going to intervene and cause those things to work together for my good, to benefit me, to bless me. And now it's out of relationship and not out of works or performance. Does that make sense to anybody this morning? He loves us. He's a good, good father. Amen? Well, uh, the orphan spirit has anger and, and often fits of rage. And I've watched this, unfortunately, because sometimes that feeling of rejection or feeling of hurt, now it comes out, I got to be in control. And I gotta, I, it's got to be my way. And, and sometimes we're reacting even with kids and our family out of fear that you got to do it my way if it's, 
done a different way. I take it personally. It's threatening to me, so it's got to be my way or the highway. And I've watched that not work real well in family situations. And those with an orphan spirit usually have issues with uncontrollable anger, and it's because they feel they must control others and their circumstances in, either, in order to fulfill their goals. Be- this is because of lack of trust, and it's necessary to, to really surrender to the Father and say, Lord, it doesn't always have to be my way, and it doesn't have to be you know, exactly how I see it, and just in a spirit of understanding, begin to respect and and hear from others, especially as their kids growing up, to be able to listen to them. Certainly, we, we guide them. Certainly, we give them direction. But that, that control that I've seen people use often backfires. And actually, we were at a Young Life camp this week, and I was talking to one of the Young Life leaders, and he said one of the advice he got years ago raising his kids is this. You can have control or you can have relationship, but you can't have both. And so when they're young, if you try and just control, 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 and it's usually done like heavy-handed, and it's sometimes done with manipulation and things we say, if you just use control, 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 you'll never really develop in relationship. But if you make it from the beginning about relationship and about a care for their heart, their soul, a care for who they are, if you, if you make it about relationship, then there's an element of of control and guidance you'll give them. But the idea of just controlling, and I've seen it in angry people and often in wounded people, that that manipulation thing sets in, and, and you think it's going to help, but it actually can backfire on you. Anybody experience that? And, and that brings me to the next point, that orphan spirit repels children, but the spirit of sonship attracts children. Jan and I last week were at Woodleaf Camp. It's a young life camp in the Sierra Nevadas above Marysville, kind of up from Sacramento off of the I-20, beautiful country, although it was freezing the first couple of days, and we got hailed on. And uh, there was a basketball tournament going on. The sky opens up, and they were pea-sized hail. And I thought, well, I've watched hail fall for like two minutes at a time. This hail quit going on, so you say, hail no more. And uh, it just, it, it just it covered the court and all that, stopped the, stopped the fun. But we were up there, and Young life leaders, they were some of the most creative people I've ever been around. And strategically, they get like 400 and some kids up there, and they try and make it 70% unchurched. So the whole goal is to introduce people to Jesus by relationship, by starting just reading in the Gospels and, and saying, this is how Jesus dealt with people. And little by little, introducing them how Jesus cared about people, how he healed people, how he reached out to people how he called Zacchaeus by name, the tax collector in the tree. Here's this guy, an enemy of Israel, uh, uh, really uh, an outsider, and Jesus called him by name and said, today, I want to have lunch at your house. And so, little by little, revealing the love of the Father. And so, we watch these kids get off the, the bus, and we celebrate them, and Jen and I, we served a little in the kitchen and different things. And the main thing was there to build relationship with kids. We watched it incrementally go from dropping F-bombs on the basketball court, not Jan, but other, other, people were, other people were doing that. Just, you know, you hear them swearing and the music they're listening to and all that. And by the end of the week, they had this, this say-so service. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So the last morning, they asked, those of you this week that discovered and God revealed his love to you, stand up. And dozens of kids stood up all over the room and then passed the microphone and shared testimonies of what Jesus had done in their life that week. 
And it's the love of God, relationship with God, the heart of God that draws people to him. They want to know him. They want to experience the love of Jesus. Did you want that when you got saved? Did you come to Jesus because of judgment? Did you come to Jesus because of control? No, no. I came to Jesus because this is what I, I came to Jesus. He said this, with man things are impossible, but with God all things are possible. I thought, man, in relationship with you, there's nothing impossible. That's a cool thought. I like that thought still today. In, in relationship with God, all things are possible. Amen? So here they are. Some of the kids, they, they have a mud pit the size of this room, and they do all kinds of games in this mud pit. And then they march them all into the lake, and then they hose them all off and dress them up, and they do it all again. And, and, and so in that time of just walls coming down, interaction, you know, they, they teach lessons. And this lesson is life is messy. You get involved with stuff. How many think life's a little messy sometimes? And so stuff happens. And so the lesson out of this is life gets messy in, in our interactions. But kids from uh, L.A., South Central L.A., kids from Salinas, kids from the Valley to Larry, there's wealthier kids you could tell, and there's some kids that uh, had to do a lot of fundraising to get to camp. It was a great, great time, and it was relationship that they were after. We were, we were sitting in the back row, kind of the padded chairs like these, and everybody else were sitting on the floor. And in the very corner, back corner of the room, is a young guy named Sam. They have a group of special needs kids that come up, the Capernaum group, and Sam was one of those kids, and he's in the corner, and the first night he had earplugs in and a blanket over his head, and he's sitting in the back. And I said hi to him and introduced myself. And so other kid, people were reaching out to him too. But through the week, little by little, still had the ears plugs in, but the blanket's down, couple of times, he's sitting up front with his friends, and by the end of the week, he was calling me Mikey. And, uh, and, and so just by trying to reach out and just trying to connect, and we spent our, our week trying to connect with kids and show them the love of Jesus, and the fruit of it is changed lives. Because that orphan spirit, the rejection thing, the, the, the judgmental thing, the ostracized things, as the walls come down and they recognize the love of God, they really do repent. They really do repent. It's the love of Jesus that can lead a person to repentance. And, and the love of God breaks down the walls where they decide, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to make different decisions. The orphan spirit is often in competition with others, and that, that spirit of sonship roots for others and rejoices in their victories. And so often, when we've been rejected and hurt, it's really hard to celebrate other people's victories. It's really hard to just get excited when you see other people excel because there's part of us that still says it's not fair. Why isn't it happening for me this way? I, I, you know, I always get left out. God doesn't love me as much as he loves them. And that, that spirit can be destructive and it's rooted in lies from the enemy. But Jesus said we know the truth and the truth would what? Make us free. And so the truth is that God loves us all. The truth is, doesn't matter your economic background or the country you're from or, or how you were raised, that, that you have sonship or daughtership when you've been accepted by Jesus Christ and you accept him into your life. You become part of that family. Amen? Tell, tell the person next to you, you are in the family of God. Go ahead, tell them, you are in the family of God. You are. You've been accepted in the beloved. And so I just want to wrap it up with a couple truths because uh, what I watched this week is they systematically just kept the focus on Jesus, relationship with Jesus, relationship with Jesus. It's about Jesus. 
He's the one the Father sent to represent him to the earth. Well, this is what Jesus said to the Holy Spirit, uh, about the Holy Spirit, because the truth is there are no orphans in God's kingdom. Do you believe that? And, and this is what he said. He, Jesus said, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. So often connected to the, the lies of that orphan spirit or the things the enemy speaks over you. But when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, he will lead us into all truth. And sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it's be, by relationship with other people or being in the word, we start recognizing what the truth is about who we are. Amen? The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Read 18 with me. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. And I've watched people have encounters with Jesus that changed everything because he came to them. He revealed himself to him. When I was growing in relationship with the Lord, I had those encounters. And sometimes it was really my first few were things of just about discipline, the Lord helping to change me. I still remember my little orange Honda Civic was about this big, probably. It wasn't the smallest one. Maybe it was a little bigger than that. But it was orange. It had mag wheels on it, and they were too big. And so when you turned it, they would scrape. And it's painted orange, and it had racing stripes on it. I'm not sure why you put racing stripes on a, a Honda Civic because it was 0 to 60 in about 3 minutes and 22 seconds. And, and I, I had this car, and I'm going out. It was either Friday night or Saturday night, and I was invited to a party, and I had already received Jesus, and I knew the people that invited me to the party. This was not going to be good. I'm driving down Irvine Boulevard, and I'm praying. I'm saying, Lord... If, if you don't want me to go, you're going to have to stop me. I'm, I'm just concerned. I'm just honestly talking to God. God, I, I don't know. This person's there. I'm going to try and be strong. I remember the whole wrestling thing in my mind. I'm a believer now, God, if you don't want me to go. And I pulled up to 17th in Irvine, and my timing belt broke in my Honda Civic. And I was stuck right there. And my first thought was, I'm stuck. My second thought is, God, wow, you really do love me. You, you really do intervene for me. You, you really do hear my prayers. You, you, I believe, made it happen because if your timing belt breaks when you're driving, it can scramble your valves. It can mess up your engine. But it broke when I was stopped right there, and I just thought, God, you're working in my life. You're not going to leave me as an orphan. You're not going to leave me to my old ways. Lord, I'm praying that you're changing me. You, you said you wouldn't abandon me, you would come, and I've said yes to you, and now you're working. Now you're working in my life because you love me as a son and you're training me up as a son. You're not going to leave me as an orphan. That's for you and me, amen? He loves us that much. This is Bill Johnson, pastor of Bethel Church. He said this about feelings because even... You know, I've been on that side listening to people on this side, and they can still share truth, and they can share things that are true about God, and we can still be sitting on this side, and our feelings seem contrary to the word, the truth that's being spoken. But this is what Bill Johnson says about feelings, and it's true. He said, my feelings are not God. God is God. My feelings do not define truth. God's word defines truth. My feelings are echoes and responses to what my mind perceives, and sometimes, many times, my feelings are out of sync with the truth. 
When that happens, and it happens every day in some measure, I try not to bend the truth to justify my imperfect feelings, but rather I plead with God, purify my perceptions of your truth and transform my feelings so that they are in sync with the truth. Amen? And that's for all of us. Like, the Word of God defines us now. It defines our relationship. It defines what God thinks about us. And those are often confirmed by signs and encounters and things that he does to confirm what the word says. But if we just decide to keep going through life based on feelings, we're never going to move forward in the kingdom of God. We're going to get stuck with the highs and lows of everyday life. But when we start believing what God says about us and say, I'm not an orphan, I'm accepted in the beloved, I have rights and privileges, I'm an heir, I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ, when we believe that, and start saying, I feel this, but this is what the Word says. I'm going to give weight to what the Word says. We'll start moving forward in, in the kingdom of God. Do you believe that, church? How many have experienced that, where you affirm the truth? Jesus said, you extend my word, and, and you abide in my truth, and what will happen? And the truth will make you free. So the, part of the cure in the process goes like this. You, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now, we call him Abba Father. Read the yellow with me. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's children. And since we're his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we're heirs of the glory of God. You're born again, you get a new spirit from heaven, your spirit gets joined with God's spirit, and in that interaction and process, he keeps confirming you're a child of God. The things that have been said about you before, now you're in Christ. Now you're renewed. And some of us have, you know, I, I've shared this, and we have people that are working in theophostic ministry and sozo ministry and counseling, and, and they say that's where people get stuck sometimes. Mike, you can tell them over and over about that, but sometimes they're stuck in the idea of the past things were so huge, so painful, so deep, that they have a hard time moving into that reality of now they're in Christ. And in a minute, I'll give you a couple resources about how you can move through that. But the truth is, we got to affirm what God says about us and get help to move to that direction if we're going to be free and keep growing. Amen? Jesus said this, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Over the last couple of weeks, I, I, I did this. I went through all the Gospels, and I read different places where Jesus said, talked about his relationship with his heavenly Father. From the time he was baptized until he, he would walk it out, he said, I only do what I see my Father doing, and I only hear, and I only do what I hear my Father saying. And there was such a relationship that was so cool to look at, I thought, man, he wants that same relationship for us. Matter of fact, it was in Mark's gospel, John's gospel, chapter 5, where he healed the guy at the pool of Bethesda. And the New Living Translation says it this way, Jesus heals him. He'd been laying there for a long time. It was 30-some years. And the guy says, hey, the, the water gets stirred, and nobody puts me into the water. I've been stuck here all these years. And Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, well, I want to be whole. And so Jesus says, pick up your mat, walk, and Cool miracle, he, he gets up in front of a whole crowd of people, gets to parade himself, carrying his mat back through the streets, the alleyways, and goes up to the temple to prove himself. And then the Pharisees come, and they get mad at Jesus because he healed them on a Sabbath day. And they're mad at him, and Jesus said, well, my father's always working, 
And I'm always working, so take that, Pharisees. And, and, and then what's cool about this, New Living Translation kind of makes it clear. Jesus starts talking about his father, and he said, you know, my father's always at work, and, and he shows me his work. He, he shows me, reveals to me his work. And I thought, wow, what a cool thought. Jesus, or the father shows Jesus how to heal people. They walk like that. And then I thought, Father, did you show Jesus how to heal me? Do you, and when I see broken people, do you, Father, know the truth about how to really heal people? And not just outer stuff, but inner stuff? Because the outer stuff's often a manifestation of the inner stuff. So, Jesus, when you talk to the Father, did he show you how to heal me and to work in my family and to work in my life? And I thought, what a cool invitation that we could walk with God like that, and he could give us insight into kids and families and into those that are broken and how to really heal them. The other thing I looked at, and I heard this at camp too, is about when Jesus healed Jairus' daughter. Here's, here's a leader in the synagogue. He comes to Jesus and said, my little daughter's dying. And uh, so Jesus goes to heal him, and the woman with the issue of blood's on the street, and he heals her, and he finally gets to Jairus' daughter, and and really, everybody's saying, you're too late. She's dead. And Jesus tells everybody, get out of the room. And, and he, he speaks over her, prays over her, and she comes back from the dead. And what a crazy, amazing, powerful thing for a father, especially on Father's Day, to have your daughter back from the dead. But this is the amazing thing the guy brought out. He said, then Jesus says to everybody in the room, don't tell anybody how this happened. And I thought, wow, what a weird thought. If it was me, I'd probably say, no, quick, get her out to the town square and, and wave the banners and say, this is the dead girl. She's alive. And look at me, I'm Messiah. I'm the one sent. And Jesus said, don't, don't tell anybody about this. And so this guy impacts the thought. He said, you know why? Because it wasn't about Jesus. It was about the little girl. Maybe the thought was this. If, if she gets paraded around for her celebrity, what's that going to do to her? If she becomes known, the stigma girl, this is the dead girl, and some people have a stigma against dead things, they still might reject her. Jesus said she's asleep. So you leave some people with attention. Was she asleep or was she really dead? And you leave some people with attention. But the important thing is it's not about Jesus' reputation there. It's more about the little girl. How is she going to be treated? What's going to happen in her life? And it just reminds me again that God loves us and he loves us personally. And he knows how to heal us personally. He knows how to have a relationship with us personally. And we're not orphans anymore. We've been accepted in his beloved. And he's working in our lives as children of God. Amen? Can you believe that? That's why you come back to this verse. And we always read 28. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle, humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light, and you got to tie it to back to verse 27 where he said, I want to reveal the Father to you. I want to reveal the Father to you. He's not a taskmaster. I want to reveal the Father to you because he loves you. And he's going to work in your life if you let him. And the invitation again is come to me. And through the years, that invitation's gone out, and some people say yes, but lots of people say no. I'm still going to work it out on my own. I still got this. I'm still in charge. I still I know I'm messing up, but this, so this thing's a little weird for me to surrender to anybody, submit to anybody, so I'm just going to stay in my mess and try to keep it struggling through it instead of surrendering and saying, Jesus, I'm coming to you. 
and I'm going to turn things over to you, and I'm going to allow you to work in my life, and I'm going to allow you to take the weight, and I'm going to allow you to take the struggle, and allow you to work and show me, God, your way, how I can walk in communion with you in faith and trust you and this load and this lift, this weight that I have to think, I think I always have to carry. No one's going to help me. I got an orphan spirit. No, God, now you said, I'm, you'll take my weight, you'll take my load, and I can trust you and walk with you as a son or a daughter of God. As we close, this is the awesome thing. Jesus, Jesus referred to God as my father 53 times in the Gospels. And then Jesus talked about his father. He just did not call him father. He also called him our father 21 times. And that's, that's the cool thing. This wasn't a Trinity deal set up in exclusiveness. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, we're here. You're all down here. No, Jesus came and revealed him and said, now he's our father 21 times. And then if you do research, you'll find that it's given even better. It gets even better than that. Jesus called him your father 21 times. So it's just not him and the Father, and, and I read it in the Gospels, that seems so tight, that relationship, so neat. Jesus would stay out at, all night praying to the Father, but he revealed him as our Father, and then he revealed him as your Father. So you and me, we could have a relationship with him as Father. That's good news. Amen, church? The voice that came from heaven when Jesus was baptized, Jesus said this, this is my dearly loved son, or the Father said to Jesus, this is my Dearly loved son who brings me great joy. God the Father was Jesus' father, but he's also your father. So what do you think he says over you? Can you ever hear him say that? Here's my son, here's my daughter. You bring me great joy.